Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you, Brian Buffini here, and welcome to the show. You're in for a real treat today. I have a good friend who has been a regular guest speaker at our success tours all over North America. In fact, uh, the most requested speaker we've had in our 22 years of business. Scott is a modern-day marketing guru, and he's worked with some of the biggest names out there, from Pepsi to Saks Fifth Avenue, from IBM to Microsoft. Forbes magazine named him one of the top five social media influencers in the world, and he's an expert in viral, social, and most importantly, authentic marketing. Scott Stratton is uh, a brilliant guy. He's written five best-selling books. He and his bride, Allison, run a podcast called The Unpodcast. And he always says they were put on this air to remind the world that not all Canadians are passively polite. I love that line. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here today. Oh, the honor's all mine, and I paid well for that intro. Yes, yes, and uh, we'll be paying for it again. (laughs) You've done a bunch of great stuff. We've given out thousands of your books. You have delighted tens of thousands of our clients in our events. But for those who've heard you before, or maybe they haven't, let's take us back to the start. And uh, where did Scott Stratton begin? What was your journey like? I was a young Canadian boy, and uh, yeah, born and bred in Canada, and uh, just west of Toronto. Mm-hmm. I lived in places like Ottawa, the capital of our country. I had to get out of there. I started running with the wrong crowd. So in grade four, uh, we moved to Oakville. <laughs> you were running in the wrong crowd in the fourth grade? <laughs> we moved to Oakville, which is a suburb of Toronto. Yeah, and, um, nice place. You know, like a lot of kids, I wanted to be a, you know, a vet or astronaut. And, there's, and when I was 12 years old, I was watching WNED Buffalo PBS feed. And back then, they had telethons. Mm-hmm. It was the Kickstarter of our day, yeah. right, where they were raising money. Yeah. And they'd beg until you gave enough money. And then they put the shows back on. And uh, they said, look, if you donate $37 a month to our pledge drive, we will send you a VHS tape of this motivational talk by this man, Les Brown. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't changed the channel because back in the day, you had to stand up. And go change the channel with yeah. your hand. Yeah. So whatever you're watching, you had five days of that. You yeah. know, that's what you're watching. So it happened to be on WNED. And then they showed Les Brown speaking. And I know you know, and a lot of your listeners know, it's mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. But when I saw that, not only was I inspired and motivated, I thought, wait a second, that's an occupation? Yeah. You right. can do that? Right. You can go on stage, yell at people, and then go home? <laughs> How do I do that? <laughs> So I think I may have been the only 12-year-old in the history of this planet to say, I want to be a speaker Yeah, when I was 12. And, you know, full circle, 20 years later, almost to the month, I spoke at Les Brown's event. Nice. So for me, I never had the fear of standing up in front and talking. By mm-hmm. the way, that's not a skill set I learned. I'm missing a synapse in my brain mm-hmm. that says, you know, yeah. wet your pants. You should be afraid, yeah. <laughs> right. I could just do it. That's really what got me through high school. Yeah. That's what got me through college yeah. was you just give me the topic and I'll go up and talk about it. And I went to school for human resources. Okay. Because I, at the time, loved people. You know, I wanted to help them. Yeah. I learned later on in life that HR wasn't exactly about that. It was yeah, right. more about doing what management wants you to do. Yeah. But at the time, that's what I was doing. At the same time, I was managing bands in Toronto and... That's where I kind of cut my teeth in the marketing world. Mm. And I went into HR. Part of that, too, was that I knew I wanted to be in front of people, and that was training. Right. 
And training in the corporate world was always under HR. Right. So I said, okay. Yeah. And I had a prof, though, that gave me advice, and she said, always generalize first. Mm -hmm. Get out to the workforce. Because if you just start being a trainer right out of school, that's all you're qualified to do mm -hmm. three years down the road. Right. And the first budget that gets cut is training. Absolutely. So I was a generalist. So I got to do a couple years at Goodwill Toronto's head office. I did health and safety and training and hiring and firing and everything in between. I fired people that worked at Goodwill. Nice. Yeah, process that for wow. a second, right? Yeah. If there is a first-class business Jeez. trip to hell, I'm <laughs> flying the plane. Oh, man. Doing a downturn in the economy. So I got the nickname at Goodwill of the Grim Reaper. Wow. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what I do these days, man. I'm destined for <laughs> south, right? I'm... You know, oh, window no. seat, please. Oh, I would no. go into a store, close the door and lock it and shut it down. Wow. By my fifth time I did that, I'm like, I didn't want to do this. Right. And this is not what, what I'm here for. Les Brown? <laughs> right. What happened to Les Brown? You're firing people at Goodwill oh, for the love of Mary. Yeah. Les motivated me to you know, change lives the wrong so, way. So, but promoting bands is another thing. Now, that is, to me, you talk about, like we, we talk about all the time, and you're saying, you know, anybody can market Pepsi because they have three hundred million to do that, right? And you know, you buy ads, and you get Cindy Crawford, and you get Michael Jackson, and, and next thing you know, geez, people are buying more Pepsi. Wow, yeah. But when you have three hundred bucks and you're promoting a band on a Wednesday night, yeah. three hundred bucks includes dinner and beer. By the way, <laughs> that's not a marketing budget. That's an all-encompassing full ledger of the night. And let's just say the three hundred covers the beer for the band, and yeah. so. Twenty uh, percent. It was my take, which I it was. I think at the end of the night, I owed nine dollars. <laughs> like I owed money for the thing. But you know, and this is especially for people starting out that's listening right now too, starting their business out when you're bootstrapping. Yeah, is that you know I was bootstrapping so much there was no boots, right? right? And it was just the point of that. I knew that artists. I love music. But I also knew that a lot of artists weren't good at business. Mm -hmm. And I love music, but I was good at business. And so my goal was to say, okay, how do we make people feel special? Mm -hmm. It's no different than any other business, no different than real estate, no different than being an entrepreneur or something, that if we make people feel like they made the right choice mm -hmm. and they got their whatever they came for, whatever right. they wanted. And so we started building a list and at the door. This is in the late 90s. So when you said, would well, you want to write down your email address, some people would answer, what's that? Right, and some would use their. I'm on AOL. You know, they have their username or yeah. something else, and we would waive the door fee of three dollars if you gave us your email, and then we put them on a VIP list, and it, which turned into a street team, and we just overwhelmed them with a frequency of content. Right, it was the pop by, it was the yeah. drop by of yeah. the music business sure. for us. Right, we wanted to stay in front of you, right, because we couldn't make new music every week at the time. Yeah. It was a big endeavor to do in the late '90s, but we could stay in front of you. Right, and that's where it started. That's where pull and stay the concept started for me that mm -hmm. was the basis of unmarketing which was all marketing was push and pray you, know, right. you push out a message and pray somebody will resonate with it which is more today than ever before right 100% in just a 15 different platforms right and mine was pull and stay let me pull your info so I have your email address and then stay in front of you with expected, relevant, quality things, content, mm. whatever that context of that was. Nice. Expected, relevant, and quality. I like that. Because it's not just as much to stay in front of you. Like if you get my name and you put me on a list and you mail me, you know, your only your, your what's for sale listings, you know, in the area, if I'm not in the market, that's irrelevant to me at the time. Yes, mm. it helps if I, I like to you know, compare my home value with somebody who just sold and up the street and I know Martha and Jim got more than they should have or something. Yeah. I get that, but more. What's important to me as a homeowner who's not looking to sell? Right. 
Do I, maybe helping the value down the road? Sure. What about we just got something from my famous realtor, Petrus? Sure. Gave us something about what happened with the bubble in Toronto and explained it in layman's terms, though, for yeah. us, too. And I read it and like, for the first time ever, I get it. Mm. Because our government came in and put a, a foreign buyer's tax on it. Right. And our house had gone up 30% in value on paper, yeah. which is paper. You know, yeah, you know, right. I went to Starbucks. I'm like, hey. <laughs> Can I get a latte? <laughs> On paper. <laughs> uh, my house has gone up. <laughs> like, it's still $9. Yeah, right. You know, it's not yeah. for you. So it was like staying in front of me with relevant information, not just the fact, like, I haven't forgot he's a realtor. Like, yeah. that's the thing. We yeah. were so focused on saying, how much can we tell you we're realtors versus saying, you know what? This is what I think will help you. Yeah. And you know I'm one already. Yeah. Right? Especially if you're clients. Like, we <laughs> I've already done the transaction. Right. I don't need the dentist to tell me they're with my dentist. You know, I don't yeah. need it to, I just need it to say... If I've given you permission, then do what you said you're going to do. Right. Right? Like, there's some famous companies out there now. And for me, it was one of the famous floral companies that did it where I ordered flowers. My mom spends part of her, her year in North Carolina. I ordered her flowers for Mother's Day because I'm a good son. Yeah. And so I ordered <laughs> them. And then every day, I'm not exaggerating, Brian. Every day, I got an email from one of the hugest, biggest floral companies out there just promoting flowers. I'm like, how many moms do I have? <laughs> right. How many funerals, weddings, engagements? Like, uh, what are you talking about? And right. like, Allison's like, how many wives are out there? Like, what? How many bouquets do you need to send to people right. here? Well, I do travel a lot, honey. No, you you know, know, it's just busy. It's got so many balls in the air. Yeah. And uh, so, and this is what I did, which is the epitome of failure in a consistency business type of thing where its messaging is important, mm-hmm. which is I unsubscribe from their list as a customer. Right. You got to try real hard yeah. to get a current, by the way, satisfied customer. Right. I was happy that the flowers were beautiful. They arrived on time. I don't order from them now. Yeah. I've gone to their competitor. Right. And when I clicked to unsubscribe on there originally, I clicked and I went on the page and said, are you getting them too frequently? Click here to get them less. I'm like, if you know the problem yeah, already, right. Right. we got a problem here. But somebody in data told them, hey, if you email once a day, we get this much in sales for the quarter. Yeah. As our organization has grown, I'll go to a customer and say, can you tell me how many times we're contacting you? Because we have this department over here. We've got this great thing, and the podcast wants to get you yes, something. And, yes, and the Multi-departments, yes. Well, customer service wants Huge to do issue. this. And someone was asking me the other day, Brian, why are you a good speaker? And I said, because I don't think about you. I think about the person in the seat. Yeah. And I, yeah. when I go to do an event, I'm thinking about the person in the seat. When I teach them finances, I don't teach them finances from where I'm at today. Yeah. I teach them finances from the starting point of where I was, from a position of empathy, and bring it out. And I just think the key for me with marketing is you got to think beyond yourself. Yeah. And everything's about them. And if you make it all about them, there's a good chance that some of them will make it about you. One of the original chapters in the marketing was called You Can't Learn from Millionaires, mm. which was that exact issue. Right. Your set of circumstances are different yes. in success yep. than pre-success. No doubt. Your contacts are different. Your budget's different. Yep. Your risk aversion is different. And that's exactly what I meant. And people got so mad, which is my goal. Of course. You know, I just I just tweeted out the headline of the chapter. Sure. And people, what are you, what are you, what are you they started freaking out. Yep. They didn't even know what they were freaking out about. It was beautiful. And I'm like, no, it's my world is different now than it was 11 years ago. And I couldn't learn because, again, even the pressure is different. But you can learn from 11 years ago. Yeah. And so when when you and I are on stage, it's tough not to sit there and go, today is like this. Right. Because people like that story. The problem is 
we got to be careful. Are we storytellers or are we teachers? Yeah. Right? And you can be both. Yeah. But sometimes we just like talking about ourselves. Right. And that's a dangerous thing. The cheese and crackers on the jet is not a great way to open the conversation, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you save that for part two of the talk, 20 minutes right. in at least. Right. So let's kind of dive in this a little bit. You kind of made your name to some degree with how you built a, a social media right. platform right. and and got huge response. So let's walk through this and let's go back 11 years a little sure. bit. First of all, talk about how you did that and then talk about why so many people are screwing up in that area. Yeah, you got it. So originally in the mid-2000s, I had a, a viral video agency. So back then, before broadband, really before YouTube became a thing, everybody's on dial-up still. Mm. It's in high speeds and 56K modems oh, out yeah. there and stuff. Hello. We made viral videos that were glorified slideshows. Mm-hmm. They're built in flash and it was a cheesy picture text that came across and cheesy music in the background. We made one for Les Brown, actually. So we made about 60 of those. And if you saw the Time movie, the Dash movie, all these things, they were really cheesy and they worked really well. Sure. And the whole point of those were the landing pages, their Mm -hmm. conversion. So we went out there and it was just self-running. I had a very high margin, low work product. I outsourced the design of them. I helped write them for the Mm -hmm. most part, but that was it. And I just got lazy and I just stopped marketing. I stopped putting myself out there. I didn't speak. Like, I didn't, meaning I didn't go on stage. I didn't do anything. Mm. And did it for six years. And then the recession hit. Mm. And then nobody was in market for overpriced slideshows anymore. <laughs> Bummer! Unbeknownst to me. Yeah, right. Nobody wanted to pay for what now is a glorified auto-advanced PowerPoint. That's yeah, what it was. Right. Like 10 grand a pop. Yeah. Right? And uh, I had zero business. Mm. My 2009 income was negative. Wow. And the second half of 2008. And if those of you are taking notes, that's not good. I'm not an accounting major, so please consult your accountant. But the red in the ledger, when the final number is looked at, is not a good thing. And so I I was broke. All the former employees of Goodwill were cheering. Oh, they were rallying outside. They were dancing, I think. That's why the the intro music was familiar to me. They were doing a jig to that song outside of my house. And here's the thing. So it was like I I was pretty much a single dad at this time, Mm. and uh, I had nothing coming in. My assistant didn't take a pay for a year and a half, who's still with me today. One of the reasons why she's still with me. Yeah, right. God bless her. And so I just said, you know what? I got to do something. And I knew the irony of a marketing guy having no business. Yeah, but it happens. It does. My dad didn't want to paint our house. Yeah. You know, in the real estate business, for example, people are promoting people's houses all the time, but then won't promote themselves. Yeah, 100%. So, so all the time. So I get this point where I'm like, I know the internet, I know people, and I know at the time there was no title for it, but it was going to be social media. Mm-hmm. I had done with forums and, and bulletin boards online, right. and I know I love community and offline and online. And so I decided, you know what, I need to make sure I know all these places. Uh, all these platforms. I didn't want to be the marketing guy that says, don't use this platform because I don't use it. Right. Right. And that's a problem we get. You know, sure. we have this a bias towards what we, you know, you, you know, I love Instagram. Okay. Well, do your customers, do your clients. Right. If not, let's look what they're doing. Right. So I decided, let me try this Twitter thing. And I joined in April, 2008. And like most people didn't, I just tweeted once and like, ah, it doesn't work. Right. And, I, and I left. And then January 1st, 2009, I said, okay, I'm going to give it the old college try. Right. Uh, 30 days. I'm going to live on Twitter. And I had 1,200 followers at the time through eight months before that, leading up to that. And I tweeted 7,000 times in that January. Good Lord. And I went from 1,200 followers to 10,000. Mm-hmm. And it was like anything in business. It was luck, timing, and skill. Mm-hmm. Right? Twitter was just about to blow up. There was no celebrities yet. Right. right? So I already had a head start on Justin Bieber on there as a Canadian <laughs> on Twitter. 
And it just blew up. And, I, you know, you make enough noise, people will come calling. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, I built it up to a giant six-figure following on there. And uh, Wiley Publishing came to me and Shannon Vargo, who's still our editor today, mm. called up and said, hey, why haven't you written a book yet? And I'm like, hey, why haven't you offered me a book deal yet? Yeah, right. And she said, touche. And uh, um, we started on marketing. I actually picked the name on marketing for the company 17 years ago because I thought it would look good on a book cover. Wow. I'm all about the hooks. Yeah. My brain's all about hooks. That's great. And I think it looks fairly decent. It does, and, uh, yeah. And I wanted to draw you to pull it off the shelf. And I love the subtitle, you know, Stop Marketing, Start Engaging. Especially yeah. for the time. So yeah. it was like that was everything was happening was, look, we have new tools here. Yeah. We have tools of which that if they came out, 20 years ago, you'd drop 20 grand a month on these tools right. as a competitive intelligence. Right. But then I'm sitting there going, they're out here now and they're free and you're wondering, what's the ROI? Right. I'm like, why do I have to explain this? Right. So the book was ready to come out and here comes the first book and I hit about 45,000 words and there was 60,000 were due. And I started it 18 days before it was due because I'm a moron. And I, uh, I get <laughs> You like f- that pressure, huh? I get That was my college, right? So 45,000 words. And by the way, 20,000 of those were just, yeah, you're pushing your luck yeah, anyways. Right. And so this is how long ago it was. I'm talking on BBM on BlackBerry wow. Messenger to, to, to Allison. BlackBerry. And I had met Allison on Twitter. She lived in the town next to me. And I just told her, I'm like, I'm screwed. I got my head a wall. This is everything I know. And even part of that's made up. And yeah, she right. says, let me have a look. And little do I know, she's a beautiful writer. And uh, she turns it around and she starts saying, you know, because sometimes you get so inside of yourself, you yeah. can't see the forest right. from the trees. And so she says, you know, what do you mean by this term? And I, I had a term called social currency, which was mm-hmm. investing your time into a platform and before you withdraw something from it. And she's like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, everybody knows what that means. She's like, explain it to me like I don't. Right. And then she just, all you hear is, she starts typing. And then there's the book you see today. It wasn't for her. A marketing that I don't even doesn't even hit the shelves, or yeah. not even a reasonable hand-drawn facsimile of what it is now. Right, and she's written the books ever since. And that was I met her on Twitter. Like I have the great. And by the way, we're married. Yeah, like, she I, is I awesome. The, by the way, I have the greatest. Which I ROI. accused you of just cutting your expenses initially, but then I realized <laughs> being married for thirty years that is not a way to cut your expenses. <laughs> So the book comes out. I knew the book would be a proof of concept of the concept. So it was like, yeah. if it went and went well, it's proof that when I build a community, it can sustain a product. Mm-hmm. And so in June 2010, I sent one tweet and I said, the unmarketing book comes out in the fall. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the unbook tour, which means <laughs> I'm not doing a book tour. I'm not going to sit in Barnes and Noble yeah. or chapters in Canada and sign books and point to where the bathroom is for people wondering <laughs> where it is, because that's usually what happens, <laughs> right? So I send out one tweet. You want me to come to your city on the tour? 100 books, fly me there and put me up. Right. 30 cities wow. signed up. And this is half of those cities were signed up from people who'd never run an event in their lives, Wow. but they wanted to support it. And the reason why you had to fly me down and put me up, I had no money. Sure. I was out of money. I had a prepaid credit card. Sure. Like I, checking into hotels, whether or not they didn't even accept it. But I knew the concepts made sense. Yeah. And I knew it was the time for it. And so... And it resonated with a community of people that you built online. That I had and they were willing to... You'd, you'd, you'd invested in them. 50,000 tweets. And now they wanted to give back. I gave 50,000 tweets before ever opening my mouth about anything I did. Wow. And that was because I believe in community. I believe that the community will wrap yourselves around you when they think you're one of them. Right. Because I am. Right. And I wasn't building it to then sell them a book. I was building it because I wanted to find my tribe. Right. I wanted to find other entrepreneurs, especially because I couldn't, you know, turn to my assistant and say, I have no idea what I'm doing. But I'm sure she's aware of that greatly at this point. But I, I needed my water cooler. 
you know, being an entrepreneur, especially now being a, a speaker as well, is that we don't have the water cooler. Right. I don't have a lunchroom. And uh, I have the dogs looking at me funny. We were having lunch today, and, yeah. and all we did, they left us alone, and we had speaker stories, right? <laughs> right. The stories that no works. one will ever hear. No, and no, no one will ever We're dying laughing. No, but we don't have that right. that, that group. And I, th- I really think humans need humans. And yeah. I, you need that social kind of interaction. Well, you think about the term self employed. Right. It's truly. Then when you want to grow, you go to self help. Mm-hmm. You're here, and you see the organization. It's a reason we have hundreds of employees. Because we were trying to take the self out of self-help. A hundred percent. And so this tour happens. I do 30 cities. So I go to my assistant, who hasn't taken a salary in a year and a half, and say, I'm going to do a 10-week, 30-city tour for zero revenue, by the way, and we won't make a cent on this stuff. And she's like, I believe in you. And I honestly, Brian, I'm not exaggerating. I haven't stopped speaking since. Yeah. And that's all I've done. That's great. It's for eight years now. And so it gets down to reaping and sowing. Yeah. It gets down to the law of the harvest. You You talk about social currency. Another side of that, emotional bank accounts. You've got to invest in people before you ever make a withdrawal. Yeah. And you made a lot of investments. And by the way, along the way, you got real good at speaking, <laughs> right? We've had hundreds of speakers. You've gotten brilliant at your craft. Thank you. You edutain, which is hard to do, yeah. which is you educate people when you entertain them. You call it yelling, which yeah. is your fun, but you're brilliant at it. I love it. Though. Um, I lo- absolutely love it. It's, I'd rather do nothing else in this world. Well, you're good at it, and it helps a lot of people. Let me do this for a second. As much as you use this platform, then people, obviously what they do, the minute somebody's successful with something, great, give me the 50,000 tweets you gave. <laughs> just give it to me. Can we systemize that? Can we just like automatically, let me buy something where I could send 50,000 tweets. Out. So give me the do's and don'ts of where people go, this stuff so wrong. I've had the tweet saying, hey, Scott, it didn't work. And I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, I sent out a tweet about doing my own book tour. And nobody took me up on it. <laughs> where did I say that's what I did? He's like, well, I just read it a certain part. I'm like, read the whole thing. Yeah. People don't want to see the work behind it. Yeah. Right? They don't want to see the... The overnight success took 12 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the problem, right? I love the, the example of the band No Doubt right here in the in, from Southern California. Yeah. Gwen Stefani, it's, at the time, it said uh, when they had one of the biggest albums in the world, she said, yeah, we're a nine-year overnight success. Right. You know, when, when L.A. Reid met her first and said, you're going to play in a garage for three years to get your chops up. And she's like, you're insane. And yeah. sure enough, it took years and years and years. And we don't want to see that. We want the pill. Yeah, We want the scalable thing where it's like this new app Mm -hmm. will do it. And so for me, the do's and don'ts really when it comes down to it is if it's going to be at least a social media side of things, Mm -hmm. I think you have to remember the first word, not the second, right? It's the social side of it. The problem is if you believe that people do business with people they know, like, and trust, what are you doing then to make those know, like, and trust? Mm -hmm. How do I know you? And I have to know you to see if I like you. Mm -hmm. And if I like you, I trust you. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it where, okay, so then what am I doing to do that? The problem is we want this immediate... ROI. Yeah. It's like you have shareholders and you have to meet this quarterly, you know, <laughs> sales goal, you know, but it's just you, yeah. right? It's you doing it. And yeah. I'm like, no, this is networking is the long term. Yeah. I run a group of almost 400 speakers on, on a private group on Facebook that I want no ROI. I sell nothing. And here's one of the things, reasons I do it. I sell nothing, which means you can't either. Mm-hmm. Because if I can't, what gives you the right to do it? Right. Yeah. I run a softball team, an over 30 fat guy softball team <laughs> in my town right now currently. We're about to start another season, our 12th season. And I'm also the president of the league. And I bat last. Yeah. Now, I won the batting title last year. Okay. Okay. I can play for a over 30 sure. guy who, who you know, has never played professionally. The huff and puff league. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. So I bat last. Why? Because nobody then can complain of where they're batting. Because right. batting order is a big 
yeah, you know, yeah, thing sure. of where you're batting. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm batting seventh. I'm like, I'm 11th. Yeah, right. And I pay twice as much as you because somebody didn't pay their their league yeah, fee right. this year or something. And by the way, I run the league. Yeah. So I sometimes think of um, leading your business, whether it's yeah. a one-person shop or a five or a 500, is that the leader is the one that – it's like yeah. the, uh, Simon Sinek's where the leaders eat last, eat right? Last, and yeah. that's the big part about that. So when it comes to social, I think really is that if you want to be part of the community, then you behave like a community. Mm-hmm. And on marketing, the basis of it was created, which was stop marketing the way you hate to be marketed to. Right. And that comes down to saying, what do you hate in social media? You hate ads that are not relevant. And yeah. I still think ads have a great place. And a lot of these places, if they're targeted and relevant, same yeah. rules as before. But we don't want to be spammed. Mm-hmm. We don't like the people who join LinkedIn and said, I heard this is the place to be. And then automatically when they connect with you, they send you a direct message that says, mm-hmm. this is all my stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like meeting that, you know, that person at a, yeah. network, a networking sure. event, right? The Chamber oh of Commerce God. event. Yeah. They walk up, they got a portfolio of yeah. stuff to give you. Well, I remember... Uh, Groundhog Day. Yeah. Ned Ryerson. Needle nose Ned. Remember Ned? I dated your sister. He's like, oh. That's right? the guy. Right. There's always that guy at the event. Don't be that one. And I just found that community means cohesion. Mm. And it means that connection. And I don't care what platform it is. They're all the same rules. Yeah. They're all the same thing because they're all still used by humans. Right. And the day we think something's exempt from that is the day you fall behind. And You know, everybody gets into it. To me, like, I just never get caught up in it. Yeah. We utilize it all. You just met our social media director. Of course, yeah. And, you She's know, great. It's great stuff, and it's good stuff. And I've been able to interact and connect with customers, and, you know, I'll share stuff with my family and things that, that allows me to interact with a large group of people, and I kind of find out more about them, and they can find out more yeah. about me. It's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. But the other side of this is that we seem to abandon the understanding that its its fundamentals and principles never change. And so, you know, before there was social media, people used to be social. 100%. You know, and before there was online communities, there was actual communities. Right. And the same rules apply. Yeah. In fact, it might even be more extreme. And I believe that people are more hungry for it than ever before. You know. I agree. You know, especially we'll we'll jump into the whole millennial conversation. But as you know, we, we encourage people to write personal notes. No one appreciates a personal note more than a millennial because it's like a UFO sighting amongst their friends. You don't write it in cursive. You know, uh, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But they're like, what is, this is awesome. Yeah. And so just give us the do's and don'ts for you on actually promoting and marketing yourself with relationships. The problem is, is that wrongfully so, is I, I start thinking you can't market in a relationship. Right. And the, the truth is you can. Mm-hmm. And the reason why you hesitate is because it's a good thing, mm-hmm. because you don't want to ruin the relationship. Right. Because if you hesitate and you don't do it for a second, you realize that relationship's valuable to you. Right. That's good. Mm. That is a good thing yep. to think of. Yep. And the problem is, it's a great way to sum it up for me, is one of my friends in Vegas, a city of our, our second home mm-hmm. that we love, uh, one of the people there who used to work for a bunch of the clubs. And we had gone out when I, I don't do clubs now. It's like I go to bed at eight. But um, <laughs> yeah. back in the old days, yeah, right. we went to a club just to check it out. It was a new one in Vegas. And we didn't let her know. So we paid to get in and stuff. And she's like, why didn't you let me know you were coming and I would have got you in. I said, because that's not why I'm friends with you. She says, you know, the funny thing is the people who should never ask for free stuff right. always do. Of course. And the people who should never do. Right. She says, I find it more insulting if you don't ask. Mm-hmm. And that made me start realizing mm-hmm. that it's okay to uh, let people know things. Mm-hmm. Cause one of the problems that realtors have sometimes is, is the ones I love too. And there's the people in realtors, mortgage brokers are like this too. You actually don't know what they do. Yeah. I, you don't know they're one. So, right. There's a balance. So my rule was on Twitter was uh, 50 to 1. 
Mm. Now it's Twitter because it's very short and yeah. pithy. Right. So it's 50 messages. That could be replies, mm-hmm. uh, helpful tweets, content I found sure. to every one marketing message. And that was, by the way, after I had tweeted over 50,000 times. That's yeah. what I settled into. Mm. Facebook, I don't have an exact ratio, but our Facebook page, I was doing about 10 to 1, yeah. which was 10 posts of other content right. and one about our stuff. Yeah. And it was just showing that, look, I, I want to be the catalyst for the community conversation. Mm-hmm. I want to create it. I don't have to be the topic. Right. I want to be the one who starts the conversation. Sure. That's part of our brand is getting those conversations going. Well, a giant company like Marketo today, right, who's one of the largest online marketers in the world, and their platform is they want real valuable content. And they actually work very hard to make sure yeah. the companies they serve, their content's really good, yeah. which is sometimes a real stretch. Yeah. They do four pieces of content and one gentle introduction of what they have, and then a couple more pieces of content, and then, hey, we have this if you're interested. Yeah. And they've probably, as far as you know, the science part of it for the big corporation, they probably have it down that way. I, I think for most people, you know, they approach business two ways that I see. One is from their need, and the other is from their fear. Yeah. The first is, I have this need. I need to make a mortgage payment whether it's social media or marketing or calling somebody, they become Ned Ryerson and, hey, I have this. They just meet you on social media and here's the listing they have for sale and take a virtual tour. I live in San Diego. You're showing me a property in Gig Harbor, Washington. Okay? (laughs) Uh, But I just I'm sure it's a fine property. Right. I'm sure it is. The second thing is people are fearful and they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be perceived as the Ned Ryerson. Uh So they don't ask at all. Right. And there's a happy medium. There's a happy middle ground for that. And that's what you have to find. And I think I'm a, I'm a huge believer, and this was going to be one of the titles of the book one of these days, is going to be Go With Your Grain, mm. which is you know knowing what works for you. That you, Look, you got to market one way or the other. Even that's just people aware that what you do mm-hmm. and having a few testimonials on Facebook and on your LinkedIn endorsements and things like that. But go with your grain. So if you're not a person that is going to be cold calling mm-hmm. 100 times a day, then I don't want you to get better at cold calling 100 times a day. Yeah, right. I want you to tell me, what you, do you love writing? Let's look at writing. Mm. Do you like video? Like, do that. You like audio? What is it? Do you like schmoozing? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's focus on that. Like, yeah. going with your grain is so smooth, yeah. so much smoother. I, I'm a huge believer in business of a lifelong entrepreneur that I want to heighten my strengths. I don't want to improve my weaknesses. Yeah. Ever. Absolutely. I outsource my weaknesses. Yeah. I hire my weaknesses. Yeah. And I want to hire them that are even better than me at those things. See, we have people who are extremely gregarious, and yeah. their coach will say, Host a party. Yeah. Take someone to lunch. Yeah. We have people who are extremely introspective. We'll go write notes and provide. We do the items of value every month. So it's, And flip you know, those, though. Yeah. Train wreck. Right. Flip them to yeah. you have the other people doing the other things. Yeah. Train, it's matching the right things with sure. the right people. Yeah. But sometimes people have to find that truth. They have right. to find where yeah. – because they've been told this is the formula. Yeah. You're going to knock on this many doors. You're going to phone this many people. You're going to do – no. No. There's a, a circle of wiggle room here. Right. What is going with your grain? And you have to try stuff. I mean, you do, but you do. I, I had a teacher tell me in the fourth grade, "You're not creative. You're not a creative person." Yeah. And the reason being is, I I don't have very nice handwriting. Yeah, me too. Which is what the teacher recognized. That's what a creative person does. Yeah, you're in a building here. That's just one part of our company that's dedicated to creativity. Yeah, that's all I do. Mm-hmm. I, I've built thousands of presentations. Basically, I create content and sometimes present content. Is my entire career. Yeah. My grade 11 English teacher said I would never write anything. Wow. 
God bless you. And one of us has five books. Yeah, right. <laughs> Best-selling books. <laughs> right. Oh, you know, revenge is a dish. Best served cold. Oh. But the point is you have to try stuff, right? A hundred percent. And you, you have to you be willing to, to get out there. And the next thing you know, geez, but, I'm not bad at this. As an example, so back when I used to do client work years ago with consulting, we had a... Uh, a framing gallery, so an art gallery and framing. And okay. they, they made their money on custom frames, mostly custom framing your mm-hmm. you know, your work and stuff. So we started working with them because I, I did a, a big tour across Canada for um, Nielsen Bainbridge was a big supplier of frames. And I got this client after I did a talk, great positioning, right? When you mm-hmm. give talks, and mm-hmm. that's a great angle. And I sat down with them in their gallery and I said, so I want to make your people feel like VIPs, like the back in the music days. Yeah. And people come, three reasons they walk into your gallery. We, we figured out why they'd come in. We qualify them. Yeah. And I said, I want you to do a wine and cheese thing and have one of your artists, because it was a gallery too, have them a, a private showing mm. for these people. He says, wine and cheese parties don't work. We've tried them before. And all there is is a bunch of cheese and I don't know where the hell the wine went. Right. Like that was her reaction nice. to it. And I said, you haven't done it right. Yeah. And then we broke it down. We made that list. She had a lineup down the block yeah. for the party. Mm-hmm. She ran out of wine and cheese. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the artist's hand was sore from signing stuff at the end of the night. Sold out. Yeah. And that's where, just because you've done it, doesn't mean you've done it right. Yeah. And that's the same thing for things like advertising. That's the same thing for at wine and cheese party. Right. That's the same thing as sending a, a note. Right. Right. And I don't mean send a note by sending me your calendar with your signature on the back. You know, a handwritten note is sentiment. Yep. Right, there's emotion attached yeah, to right. that, and and so just because you've done something doesn't mean you've done it well. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, I was telling you at lunchtime. I flew home from Atlanta here the other day. The kids had a volleyball tournament out there, and we're sitting in the first row across. Like there's four of us, and we sit down, and here's a thank you note from Delta. And I flip it over, and it's dear Buffini family. Thank you so much for flying with us. We want to make this a really special trip for you. And it was signed by the gal that was going to serve us. Right. And I thought, here's a big company. That's now doing the small things. And I had just flown another airline that markets itself as the friendly airline. (laughs) And let's just say it was neither. Uh And it's like, wow, you know, even something as big a company like that with a little bit of attention, a little bit of make me feel special. I don't want to butcher the quote, but I use a quote of yours at every event. We start out our seminar with the quote and a beautiful picture of you, by the way. It's all airbrushed and everything. Is there any other kind? (laughs) It's all touched up. But share with the folks the quote uh, that we use about you all the time, and then I want to drill into that a little bit. If you believe business is built on relationships, make building them your business. Right. 100%. i got to give you an example, like your airline story here, yeah. too. It just happened to us. So yeah. I was actually on the road for Valentine's Day this yeah. year, but I like to be married. Yeah. And so the following weekend, I had a gig in Chicago, and I said, Allison, why don't you come to Chicago? And uh We'll do a whole romantic weekend in Chicago. We love Chicago. And I'm like, well, the gig's at the airport Hyatt. Let's go to the (laughs) Ritz-Carlton. Because, you know, the staying married part, airport Hyatt, no good. No no, No good. So Ritz-Carlton, and I book it. And this is one of the few hotels I've booked because I'm on the road 150 nights a year. They're all booked by clients. And so I'm like, I'll book it. So I book it, and I get an email two weeks ahead of time. Hey, it's Jennifer from Ritz-Carlton, Chicago. Thank you so much for booking with us. Any special occasion? And I'm like, what? This is a human? Mm-hmm. The Ritz car, this giant company. Yeah. It, yeah. It's actually a, a late Valentine's weekend. Yeah. She's like, oh my goodness. We're so honored you chose our location to spend that with. Mm. Can we do something special? I said, like, what? He's like, we can do balloons, roses, champagne. I'm like, yes. Whatever those choices are, do yes. Yeah. And she says, we have Godiva chocolates. Would you like those? And I said, actually, my wife 
she only eats sugar-free chocolate and sugar doesn't react well with her her system and she's like oh godiva has sugar-free chocolate i'll find them i will find them nice. and i'm like you're good yeah and, but and i would pay for these things right mm-hmm. i pay for the rose she's like you want one dozen or two dozen roses and i'm like oh so you actually asked that question yeah. nice who says one <laughs> Who's like, you know what? She's worth one yeah, dozen. Give just, me the discount Yeah, one. just simmer down. <laughs> give me petunias. Maybe that's what's good for it. So then we go, and we get there, and we walk in the room, and I'm now Cupid. The bed has a heart of rose petals, oh, two dozen sakes. roses. I've made every human now in this room yeah. and listening in trouble now. Yeah. Champagne on ice and a love banner over the bed, a metallic banner. And then that night, I'm like, we should see if we get a massage or something tomorrow. And so I email at 10.30 at night, knowing I'm not going to hear from somebody. 6.30 the next morning. Yeah. Mr. Stratton, thanks for writing to us. Unfortunately, we're all booked up today, but I have uh, another option at the spa. She called the spa. Mm-hmm. This is the concierge mm-hmm. of, of Ritz-Carlton. And you're like, well, it's a Ritz-Carlton. That's what they do. I'm like, no, 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 no. Because we're diamond players at the Caesars Casino in yeah. Vegas. And we're the second top tier, right? Yeah. Seven stars is you, you you need to get help. But, you know, diamond right. is a, is a really fairly higher roller yeah. level. Never had anything like this from them. Sure. And, and they get all of our money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right, we, yeah. we, we put money into machines and then it just never comes back again. Like we do at Ritz-Carlton, we exchange things for yeah. items and services. Yeah. There we just put it into these computers and it right. just goes ding, ding, and it's gone. But now a guy who does 100 speaking engagements a year, right. speaking to giant audiences, he's on this podcast speaking to 100,000 people, We're telling them. is telling the story about the Ritz-Carlton in Chicago. The ladies and gentlemen of the Ritz-Carlton, that's what they call them. The Joshi story, one of the famous stories I tell Mm -hmm. on stage about that lost toy giraffe. I found out that the Ritz-Carlton gives every employee up to $2,000 leeway Mm -hmm. to either delight or make right. Right. So if something goes wrong, they can fix it without getting authorization. Yeah. And then I found out, you know what the average cost of every fix was over five years? $57. Right. And do you think those employees feel valued? Yeah. They feel trusted? Well, look, it's it's how FedEx... Right. Became who FedEx yes, is. And 100%. took on the U.S. government who had a monopoly. Mm-hmm. They authorized the person to spend up to $20,000 to get a package delivered. So when there's a snowstorm in New England and the grandmother's wedding dress is not going to make it to the wedding and the gal without authorization charters a helicopter and gets it delivered in a snowstorm and it then makes the front page of the Boston Globe. What's that worth to you? What's that worth to you? And so... You know, the bottom line is, you know, we live in a world right now that we're just getting tsunamied with whether electronic forms of living, electronic forms of interacting. And yet it's the human touch. It's the personal touch. And that's what's kind of neat about your message is you built your brand on you became the biggest guy on Twitter in the country of Canada. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty cool deal, you know. I mean, Bieber has screaming girls, you know, and you were before Bieber. You went on and did all these great things, but at the same time, you've held to your values, and it's it's about relationship. Yes. I tell people all the time, you want to make your business big, make your focus small. 100%. Invest in relationships, invest, invest. And I think that's really the big thing. And to the point that we changed the subtitle of the newest release of Unmarketing mm. to say everything has changed and nothing is different. Mm-hmm. We're so busy looking at the apps and the platforms. And this is a guy who lives in this space, by yeah. the way. So I've earned the right to say it, is that it's not about that. Right. It is about the P2P, the person-to-person. It's about the connection there, too. What do you say to the... Uh, you got a small business owner listening to this and whatever business they're in, and funds are tight, mm-hmm. yet they want to do these wonderful things and yet still try to feed their family. As an, as an, as an entrepreneur, are funds never uh, not tight? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you ever had somebody who says, you know what? I got so much money, yeah. I don't know what to yeah. do with it. Yeah, that's the guy that sells his business. 
<laughs> so, I, I mean, I tell people all the time, you're not an entrepreneur until you've written a personal check to make payroll. 100%. That's, that's what you know. 150%, yeah. right? Yeah. So what do you say to the person, you know, because that's, that's the conflict. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, Ritz-Carlton can do that. Oh, Delta's doing notes, Brian, whatever else. We're using those big examples to show maybe this is one of the reasons these guys have become successful. Uh-huh. But what is the small-time player, and I don't consider it small-time, by the way, a small business owner, Yeah, that's a really big deal, short on funds, but they have some customers, and they have some really good customers, and they have some okay customers, and they have some kind of casual customers, and they have people they don't know at all. What would you encourage? If the number one driver of new business for you is referrals, mm-hmm. There should not be a conversation right now. You increase those referrals. Mm -hmm. And how do you increase referrals? By making yourself referable, Mm -hmm. by taking static clients and customers and making them ecstatic. Mm -hmm. Right? If you don't have the budget to, and I don't think you want them for the most part, because Mm -hmm. the budget makes you sometimes spend frivolously, irresponsibly. Uh, the old adage in marketing, right, is I, half my marketing dollars work. I just don't know which half, right? right. That's that old line. And yeah. because I can spend it. Yeah. You know, Pepsi can spend $100 million in an ad and go, I think it worked. Yeah. Right? Where we can spend 100 bucks and go, ah, right. uh, dog's not eating. You right. Know, or, or I'm not eating. Yeah, There's something's right. going to be. So it's something where you're saying, look, you can't outspend a big brand. Mm-hmm. You can't out-innovate a big brand for the most part. But you can't out-service them. Mm-hmm. Always. The bigger the company, the more holes happen, the more mm. gaps happen. We've been saying a lot lately, mind the gap, mm. which is a wonderful UK term, right? Sure. Right, The mind the gap sign, which is look for the gap. Right. Okay, and what's the gap here? What are either your competitors not serving or what are you not serving? And that's usually a service-based thing. It's usually a turnaround time thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were somebody in, let's say, financial planning or something like that, and instead of getting back to me in two weeks, you got back to me in two hours, what mm. would that do for your business? Right. What would that do for the impression? Right. And that's a big big part of that and response time is a big part of those mm-hmm. how soon do you get back to me our realtor would text me back at midnight now i don't mean be insane yeah. like you know you have to have a life and i yeah. think we do need boundaries and barriers Absolutely. because work is not everything mm-hmm. work is second to me below family mm-hmm. and i think that we need to draw lines like that we're right. too connected like you and i've said before but i think that on a service level that instead of always looking for the new customer could the chase yeah Get your current customers to find them by chasing them. And notice a need, find a need, and fill the need. I tell the story I've told for years of a president of a bank here in town. So I, I was kind of intimidated. I was a young realtor, right? I, so I get in. I have no money. I'm a foreigner. I'm a kid. I'm 19 as a real estate agent, you know, and I've never bought a house. And, uh, you know, what I mean? it's like, oh. It's like a barber never had a haircut. Exactly, yeah. Totally. And so, you know, I'm a couple of years into this, and I get in the early 90s, there was a huge foreclosure plague in Southern California. And so at this bank, I get a referral from a guy I was serving who was a roofer. Mm -hmm. And I go see this president of this banking organization, and they have dozens of these foreclosures. And he's interviewed and has a pile of brochures and VHS cassettes and videos (laughs) and all these power things that people had sent, you know, and they're standing in front of Rolls Royces. Uh And I'm there in in the short sleeve shirt and a white tie and you know, I, I'm totally intimidated, right, to yeah. be in that environment. But I have a nice conversation with them, and I decided just be yourself. I'm genuinely interested in people. Yeah. And as much as I was there to talk about real estate, I started asking him about himself and his family and all this stuff. Well, I find out that his son's going off to college. And I said, well, that's a big deal. You know, I'm an immigrant. I know my mother and father, when I left home, it was a big deal for them. I go, well, what's your biggest fear about that whole thing? He goes, oh, I just don't feel like he's prepared. I feel like I'm throwing to the wolves. The next thing we're having this personal conversation. Because yeah. who has that with the president of the bank? Nobody. 
And he goes, and then on top of that, my wife and I are going to be the empty nest. So he goes, that's going to be interesting. So I go. There was no Amazon. I went to the bookstore right afterwards. And I walked up and down the aisles. And I didn't know what I was looking for, but I heard the need. I found two books, How to Fill the Empty Nest and How to Prepare Your Child for the First Year of College. I waited till the next day, mm-hmm. even though I was anxious enough to go do it right then. <laughs> there was a courier service that our real estate company had, and I wrote a nice personal note, and I sent it over in the courier to the president's office. This guy gets on the phone, and he goes, Brian, I just want to, and he stops. He stops. He can't speak. Someone took the time to actually hear him. Mm-hmm. It was important enough to them, and did something about it. And he kind of gathers himself. This is a guy in San Diego. You know, it's no shoes, no shirt, no service. This guy wore a three-piece suit every day. So he's kind of a stuffy banker. Moved to tears. And I was like, mission accomplished. See, that's where people have to get this. I was mission accomplished. Not, oh, I've now got him. I'm going to do business. I was happy. I was done. I didn't have a lot of money, but I bought two $12 books. And I affected his day. I just made that guy's day. Yeah. Went on to the next, on the next. It was a few months later, I get a phone call from him. And he goes, Brian, we have a property. We have a current relationship with a realtor who does all our, this is out of her area, would you handle it? He said, we want to put our property in premium condition, which was the opposite of what all the <laughs> banks did. Yeah. We want to price yeah. it to sell. And he said, just so you know, while it's being fixed up, you feel free to show it to any buyers you may have before it goes on the market. So I sell the property myself weeks before it's finished, which allowed my buyer to pick the carpet and the pink color and everything else that the bank paid for. Three months later, he gives me 12 properties like that. I sold seven of them myself. He became my biggest client. It all started by noticing a need, filling a need. And people say to me all the time, oh, you were lucky. I can tell you hundreds of stories like that. Uh, Hundreds of lucky stories. Hundreds of lucky stories. And so not all of them turned into that. I met a person at a, a church function here about two weeks ago that I hadn't seen in 23 years. And he was a farm worker in California. Raised a family here got his citizenship. I met him. I was actually representing a a seller and they were renting the property. And I went over to talk to them because it's a hassle when you're a tenant to put a property on the market. And I said to him, you know, let me ask, would you like to live here? Oh man, would you like to buy this place? Oh yeah, but we can never buy. And I, you know, just, there's no way. And I sat down with them and I went to the ends of the earth and I found a lender that would work with them. We got it together. And those people bought that home. And it was transformative for that family. And I was there the other day, and I met the son, who was a kid at the time. Yeah. And this is 20-some years ago. Yeah. And he's like, that changed our life. That thing changed our life. And so I didn't get 22 listings out of that or this thing. I got to live the life I live, the joy of it, the passion of it, to make me want to go do more, going to do more, going to do more. If you walk down the hall here, you'll see bookshelves of books I give away every day yeah. with letters. So... It's make the business big, make the focus small, make people feel important. Yeah, you can't do something nice for somebody and then stand there and say, so? <laughs> yeah. Want to buy a house? Right. It doesn't yeah. work that way. And Motivation. That's, right, and that's, that's the whole thing. If you make your focus is to connect as strongly as possible mm. with people and actually listen. And here's the saddest thing, right? If you just listen, you've already separated yourself, mm. which is a sad commentary on our day mm-hmm. and age. But if you just listen intently, and you said it, which was, it was genuine, which that's an important word that I don't want people to miss hearing because mm-hmm. it, it was just in there very briefly, but you actually care with a genuine nature that you actually do want to know. Mm-hmm. That's important. That's important because when you and I talk, 
and you know and we've done a bunch of events together now and we go back now mm -hmm. and from day one though you listen intently you got a 10,000 when I met you you were thinking we're coming off stage going back on stage doing something getting makeup we're both getting makeup <laughs> got weird you know we just, all this stuff is happening but when we're talking it's like there's not even an event happening right and that is a talent that I think people need to focus on. And when we have, you know, we've got a phone going and we got like, I've seen, and realtors do this. It's a self-importance thing too. Realtors, especially a lot of people in the financial world, mm -hmm. anybody who's tethered to their phone. Yeah. It's the same type of person that used to have a pager, right? Where it's like, sure. I'm so important. I need to show you right now in the middle of our conversation how important I am. Right. To the point that that when you hold the phone up, what is it telling you? When I'm in the middle of something, I pull what, my phone whatever you're doing there is more important than what's right. over here. And or uh, even worse, it may be more important. So, but let me find out first yeah, right. whether or not like that is. I, I don't know what other way to put it. You're just being a jackass. Yeah. And I get it. If it's an important thing, the only notifications come on my phone. The only sound is Allison huh. or the kids messaging mm -hmm. me. Yep. And if it does, and I will excuse myself, because yeah. they only know the message if it's really important. Yeah. And then you can, it's simple common courtesy, which right. ain't so common. Yeah. Right? Could you excuse me a second, Brian? I just got to check and make sure everything's okay at home. Yeah. I don't think you feel an ounce of, what? What's What do you mean? Sir. Right? But if I just grabbed it. Yeah. Uh oh I just got a sports center message. Oh, yeah. Hang the on. NBA Whoa. signing day. This is going to affect my fantasy football <laughs> team here. Brandon Cooks of the Rams. <laughs> And, you know? and what were you telling me again about yeah, your son? Know, your son's going to school. Where's he going yeah. again? Yeah, it's, what, do you have surgery? Right. Hang on a second. I got a. There's a trade, and this guy's not offering me remotely what he's worth. Like it's just like right. this is the problem. Where I think that our brand yeah. is simply when somebody sees us, what do they think? Yeah. Right. That doesn't mean it's your nice suit yeah. or your billboard or your flyer or your business card. Yeah. It's. Do I want to stand here with this person for 20 seconds or don't I? Yeah. Do I want to get caught in the corner of a Chamber of Commerce event right. with this person? Right. And the answer with you is yeah. Yeah. Right? Because you feel like, you know what? You give a damn. Mm -hmm. And not to me, at least personally, with yeah. my moral level that I have and what I think is important, yeah. that's the people I like to talk to. And that's what people I like to be with. Yeah. Well, you had your Les Brown moment watching PBS. Mine was 1986. I walked into a success seminar and there was... Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Tom Hopkins, and Lou Holtz. Godfathers. So motivation, the Godfathers, right? Uh -huh. So you had motivation, you had philosophy, you had sales training, uh -huh. and then principle-based leadership. <laughs> and at the end of it all, it was, it was just like the day of all days. Yeah. And it was like 99 bucks, which was maybe all I had at the time. <laughs> and at the end of it, Lou Holtz said, and this is, you know, who knew years later we'd be the best of friends. and yeah. the, the, you know, Like you say, and I'm sitting and he goes, there's three things people want to know. Can you trust me? Are you good at what you do? And do you care about me? And it just hit me like a thunderbolt. And for all the technology and all the systems and all the this and all the fancy stuff we have at Buffini Company, when I walk around this building every day, I'm like, can they trust us? Are we good at what we do? And do we care about them? That's all they want to know. That's it. And that's still the same today. That was 1986. Mm -hmm. Okay. It wasn't even dial-up in 1986. <laughs> the fax machine was hot in 1986. Rotary dial was in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I say. Principles don't change. Tactics do. Yeah. I love your message. I see your message evolving. I think it's more needed than ever. Thank you. I think what's great about your stuff is that you come from, you know, when you come out, you're the hip, you know, 
man social bun media yeah. guy. You got the man bun and the beard and the tats and the whole thing. I'm out there in the stuffy suit, but it's like, hang on a second here. You're out there, and all of a sudden you go, now, I made my bones this way. But at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. Yeah, because I put the time in to say I've done those things, and I think they can be a great accent to stuff. Sure. They're a great addition. Yeah. But if you combine them. Yeah. I've met some of my best friends I have my entire life virtually, but the relationships were solidified in person. Yeah. But I can stay in touch with you on a peripheral level online, but let's connect in person. Well, I'm excited, and I'm excited. You know, we've been talking about maybe doing some more stuff together, which would be great, and some new messaging we're talking about, and got that it. would be fun for our audience to get a hold of you, you got it. in the years to come. I have five questions I ask every guest I have, mm-hmm. and you qualify as an unguest today. So here's the five questions. People love this stuff, and it gauges different conversations. Yeah. So number one, what's the best single piece of advice you've ever gotten? Learn to like golf and sushi. Okay. Got it in college. Okay. Uh, my prof said, you need to, because she knew I hated uh, sushi and I didn't play golf. And she's right. like, sushi is a very social business meal. <laughs> yeah. And if you're going to sit there and only eat the tempura shrimp or something, <laughs> you might as well go home. <laughs> you can only, longer dinners, the better for business. Uh, and golf was, the, she says, you're going to be put on a tournament team at your company. Yeah. And you'll be paired up in a foursome with a VP of engineering who doesn't want to lose to that jerk in marketing <laughs> last year and the other foursome. And you're going to be the one that shanks a shot because yeah. you got to include a drive from each person yeah. and he's going to lose because of you. Yeah. And sure enough, a year into my career, I swear wow. to you, I'm going to foursome with a VP of engineering. And he doesn't want to lose to Chris, the VP of marketing. And that's true. But also in a sales sense, where else do you get four or five hours with somebody? Right. And so I, I, sure enough, I love golf and I'm terrible at it. And uh, I eat sushi all the time now, but only at Nobu because I'm a diva. <laughs> Along like our producer, Mr. David Lally, by the way, who is a foodie snob of the highest order. Right, Nobu, later on. Let's okay, it, yes. Nobu. And so, okay, what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Uh, sing. Mm-hmm. I like to sing. I think I can do it in a fairly mediocre way. I used to be a lead singer in a heavy metal band in high school. Yeah. I always say I just fired the band and stayed on stage. <laughs> but you know what? I'm in one of the only professions outside of a musician that gets applause for his job. Right, yeah. But I love a good singer. Yeah. I really do. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. I've done it. I probably shouldn't, but I do it. All, all Irishmen can sing. So <laughs> They all do, at least. They all do sing. What yeah. book or books have been most instrumental for you? Uh, Permission Marketing by Seth mm. Godin. Yeah. Read it when it came out, you know, what, 15 years ago? Not mm. so long ago. I read it on one flight from Toronto to LA, and I wouldn't get off the plane until I finished it. Yeah. That was, you know, when you read something and it shifts your brain, mm. the whole thing goes, oh, that was it. And then I read a recently new one, The 50 Inventions That Shaped the Modern Economy. I just mm. read it on the cruise we were on, and it's phenomenal. Who wrote that? Oh, I can't remember. And I'm, okay. He also wrote a thing called Messy was another one of his books. He's like an economist type of guy. The um, 50 Inventions That Shaped What? The Modern Economy. Okay. I haven't heard of that one. That's on my list. I didn't either. I randomly ran across it, and it blew my brains out of watching that reading. I read it on the cruise. I just nice. sat there on the balcony, and it, everything from the plow to you know the internet to something from six months ago. Money. Yeah. Right? How it was. Currency. It, right? Currency. How it used to be on sticks. And, yeah. little, and just like... Oh. For me, because you'll notice how all of our books are written, very short chapters. Mm-hmm. So this is 50 chapters. Oh, 50 wow. things, two, three pages each. Wow. But it's researched so well. 
Mm. That reminds me of like a Freakonomic style thing yeah, where it takes yeah. a complicated subject and makes it really human. So I get that one. There too. it is. And oh. I just finished one yesterday called How to Never Lose a Customer Again mm. by yeah, Joey yeah. Coleman. Yep. Just came out. And that is a killer from page one. Great book as well. Nice. Also unselling on marketing and on branding. <laughs> Coincidentally, by hey, the Stratton. Hey, you invested 59 minutes worth of value here. And I'm allowed to. And in 10 seconds. Well, I, I can promote the book because I've probably bought more copies of this book than anyone I in the world. I think you have. More than my mom, especially. Yeah. Yes. I thought she'd be the leading buyer of the book. So thank you. Yes. I think we bought about 10,000 yes, copies. Yes, you have. So you're welcome. And by the way, would you stop spending my money in Vegas, for God's sake? It's going to pay off. I have a foolproof system now. Just buy 10,000 more. Okay. Last couple. Favorite song band or what's the tune you just takes you back there puts had, you in a good place i had the rental car coming here today and what came on europe the final countdown oh come oh, on my goodness oh wow which was resurrected in arrested development by joe like how do you beat okay here's an aside i gotta tell you this my 16 year old daughter alicia who's five foot tall the sweetest cutest person on the planet and for some reason she has designed her funeral mm-hmm and she's the most positive person in the world. And when the casket goes down, she wants the final countdown. To be- <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> and I'm like, honey, I pray I'm not around at that time. But she wants to give everybody a good laugh on but the day of her funeral. For full album, for old school for me, it would be any of the early Metallica albums. Okay. Um, for newest music, I am not stopped listening to the Greatest Showman soundtrack. Isn't that amazing? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I just on the plane. I look yep. ridiculous. Have you seen the the YouTube clips of the auditions? That's what got me first yeah. hooked. Yep, was watching the bearded lady yeah, one, right. which I, I'm uh, crying at this thing. I have yeah. no idea what this movie's going to be, and I see it, and that's what made me yeah. watch it because yep. a friend of mine shared the clip, and now I listened to it six times on the flight here. Yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing stuff. Great, good referrals. Last. What's the one movie you watch over and over again? You're clicking through the channels, and it comes on. And even though you know everything about the movie, you'll stop and watch it. Older one uh, is Tombstone. Ah, nice. And newer one is Deadpool. Nice. My kids. My two boys, for some reason. Not only incredibly hilarious, it is brilliant the way it's made. It's just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And I can't wait for the next one. Nice. And and Tombstone, I'm waiting on getting my uh, Doc Holliday Val Kilmer tattoo with him winking. (laughs) The the Huckleberry part. Yeah, that's going right on my calf. (laughs) I'm telling you. Okay. Well, I want to see it. Yeah. And I hope you guys have enjoyed this. This has been way too short. Yeah, way we, too fun. We could do this all day long, and um, I'm just such a big fan. I love who you are and what you do, Thanks, and man. very excited to do more with you, and very excited for the new messages you have that are going to be even more pertinent to the world we live in today. We're unliving these days. <laughs> so exactly. Powerful. I hope you do. Also, if you're a reader, unmarketing, unselling, phenomenal books. I wouldn't be giving them away by the bushel load if they weren't, so check those out. I hope you enjoyed today's show with Scott. And as you know, at Buffini Company, we don't do sponsors. We don't run ads. We're not pumping stuff out. All we ask you to do, if you've really enjoyed this show, spread the word and share it with others. Uh, We'd be honored to have your referral. And as I finish here today, I'll leave you with the little Irish blessing that my grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again... May God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.